0: Welcome to Web Sorority Talk Radio, your place for inspiration, information, and girl talk with a purpose. I'm your host, Lynn Klippel. Today's guest is somebody who I heard speak at a big conference four years ago and was immediately impressed with not only her message, but just who she was as a person. Susie Pomerantz is the CEO of Innovative Leadership International. And she has such an extensive and successful business all wrapped around leadership development. So I wanted her to be our first guest for 2009 and help us think about how we step into a leadership role in our business, whether our business is just beginning or whether we're very well established. Plus, how do we as women step into the role of a leader in our life? Susie's not only a very successful businesswoman, she's the author of a wonderful book called Seal the Deal that we'll talk about extensively in just a little bit, plus she's a mom of two adorable little ones, a wife, busy woman who has lots to
1: share with us today. So welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you so much, Lynn. What a lovely introduction. It's really an honor to be here. Thank you. Now,
0: in your book, you talk about how you started out as a school teacher,
1: and Uh today,
0: you're a CEO of an international company. How did that happen?
1: Well, you know, all my life, I was supposed to be a teacher. It was one of those things when I was a little kid, and they make you draw what you're going to be when you grow up. I Mm -hmm. had a picture of myself in front of a chalkboard, you know, with the alphabet going across the top, (laughs) and so that was just who I was going to be. I was going to be a teacher, and I I went to school and got my master's in teaching and got my first teaching job and went, whoa, this is not what I thought it would be. (laughs) Um, And I was really disillusioned because in my teaching job, I I really um, only got to spend about 3% of my day teaching. And I got into teaching because I love children, and I got out of teaching because I love children. Because what I found was that so much of teaching, and and I was in a public public education, so it wasn't private school, but So much of teaching in public education was about discipline and bureaucracy and politics and paperwork and administrivia, and not so much about actually teaching. And I was one of those teachers who took the idea of individualized instruction to a very literal degree. (laughs) So I was working myself crazy, crazy hours, and I was not at all efficient about who I was as a teacher, because I really was designing individualized lesson plans for each of my students each day. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah. (laughs) In retrospect, I would do it a little bit more efficiently now, but um, I was young and, and, you know, really wanted to make a difference. That's been sort of my driving, um, my driver, my internal driver is wanting to really make a difference with people. And I always thought that those people had to be children. And um, I tried three different teaching scenarios over three different years. I thought maybe it's just this school. Maybe it's just this principal. Maybe it's just this location. Maybe it's just this. Genre of teaching, because I was doing uh, i was i tried inner city, I tried suburban and I tried sort of country rural um, and I tried everything from third grade to middle school and you know I tried all those different scenarios and finally I went, yep yeah, no it 's me <laughs> it 's <laughs> me this isn 't what I thought it was, and so I had about six months worth of savings and I took myself just sort of out of out of everything to try to figure out what I was going to do next. And meanwhile, just on my own while I was teaching, I had been volunteering, taking a lot of leadership courses and volunteering as uh, what they called a coach in a leadership program. And during my six months of trying to figure out what what on earth could I do with a teaching degree, how could I translate that into corporate America, I'd never been to business school, I'd never had a day of corporate american work in my life so what could i do as a teacher and how could i translate that i used those six months to do some informational interviews and i started with three people that i knew and i asked them all three of them the same five questions and fast forward to the end of that six months i had interviewed 150 people and had started my business as an executive coach so the power of informational interviews is something that for anyone who's listening, is a really great way to take a leadership role, not only in your own career, but in your life. And the five questions that I asked everybody was, um, what, what do you like about your work? What skills do you think, uh, as a teacher, I could apply into corporate America? Um, what, what job do you think I should do, given my skills? It, you know, if it's not something in corporate America, what do you think I should do? And who do you recommend I talk to and what do you recommend I read? And it's pretty funny that, you know, 16 years later I can still recite those five questions off the top of my head because I, <laughs> I asked wow. them 150 times. Yeah. Um, but it was great. It was such a great experience. I highly recommend it because I learned in the process of doing that, I learned all about networking and the value of networking. And people really do want to help. And um, people were so generous with their time. And um, it, was, it was just a very powerful powerful experience for me to, to learn. You know, there were some common themes. I was looking for patterns and themes that came out, and what came out was, well, you could always do corporate training. You know, that's sort of the obvious connection into into corporate America from teaching, and I actually did do quite a lot of that when I started out. I did some training around team building and a lot of work around diversity, awareness, and inclusion, um, and then it, from there, it just really developed, and the as the coaching business grew, I pared down the training business, but... Um, but that's how it all started, through informational interviews.
0: Well, you know, Susie, I'm just giggling because you and I are very kindred spirits. I also have a degree in teaching, but I only made it a year and a half before I realized, oh, my gosh, this is not for me.
1: Yeah. Isn't, isn't that amazing? funny? Yeah, And they don't tell you that in school. No. You know, when you're learning how to be a teacher, it's all pie in the sky, and you think you're going to mold young minds and change oh, the world. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's not what it's about. No. But God and bless those people a... that can do it and actually put up with all that bureaucracy because my children have had wonderful teachers, so I know there's people called to that field.
1: And they are the two heroes in the yes. world, I must say, I, because I, I looked around at some of my colleagues, and you might have had this experience too, Lynn, but I looked around at some of my colleagues and they were just so bitter and resentful and mm-hmm. they hated children, and I thought, I don't want to end up like that. I really don't. And that was... That was my wake-up call to get out. And you know what? Frankly, I'm still a teacher. I'm just teaching bigger kids. You know, I'm teaching grown-ups now. Um, And the same skills work, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, too, was part of the transition. You know, I thought, how on earth can I effectively get my point across in business when I've never been in business before? But I was able to take my actual, real, authentic experiences as a teacher and translate them into making the points I wanted to make in business. So there was, so I didn't, you know, because I didn't want to have to lie. I'm not, I'm no good at lying whatsoever. So I wanted to figure out a way that I could actually translate it. And it was just a matter of re what I was doing. So for example, managing multiple, ta- multiple simultaneous projects was really, um, you know, centers, <laughs> reading centers, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, you know, resolving conflict, um, between political opposites was, um, you know, who has the jump rope on the playground? I mean, you know, there's, there's ways to take your actual experiences and the lessons learned and re-language it in a way that fits with the audience that you're speaking to. And so that would be, you know, to your point about leadership in your own life, that's, that would be another way to do it.
0: Well, you know, I think everybody listening probably has a similar history of jobs or careers or professions that they thought were going to be a fit and they weren't. So your story is so inspirational that it doesn't matter what you went to college for or even if you didn't have the opportunity to go to college. Just living your life as a woman gives you such wonderful business skill that you don't really realize until you relanguage it and look at, you know, what can I use that I've got under my belt?
1: Absolutely. You're so right. And I hear I hear a lot of women who have been moms who want to go back to the workplace after being moms and taking time off to be, you know, stay at home. And they say, well, you know, I, I what have I been doing? I've just been wiping bottoms and cooking meals for the last however many years. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Look at everything that you've been doing and figure out how to language that into the industry that you want to go into because all of those skills are so much that you have to manage. And I I think that a lot of times I find that people who are stay-at-home moms are working so hard and don't acknowledge or give themselves credit for everything that they really are doing and all of the skill sets that that involves. I mean, there's so many skill sets involved in managing a household and children and keeping everyone safe and healthy and happy that can really be effective in any kind of business.
0: Well, with that said, and I heartily agree, it, the the women who are at stay-at-home moms are CEOs of a corporation and Absolutely. work so hard and are such wonderful leaders that don't get the credit. They always should. That's right. It is about leadership. It really is. Why do you think that women are sometimes reluctant to think of themselves as a, as a leader?
1: Because we hold leader with um, a lot of masculine Definitions around it, you know, it, and we can't help it. That's the way we've been raised in our society. If you look at, um, you know, the 44 presidents of the United States, they've all been men. When we look at the Fortune 500 CEOs, I think only two percent of them have ever been women. Um, so it's it, what we're trained and taught growing up, even in religious communities. You know, nowadays you see more women clergy, but. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, they were all men. Everybody was men, mm-hmm. and so you grow up thinking that whether it's whether it's an explicit thought or just sort of an unconscious thought, the re, at least the reality in America has always been that leadership is a male thing. You look at the military, which is held up as the um, you know the, the paramount leadership training experience, and they're you know they were largely men. Nowadays, it's a little more equal, but. So I think that's part of it. I think we grew up thinking, well, I can't be that because I'm not a man, or I'm not like I'm not like men. I don't want to be like them. And so what's really happening nowadays, and there's been a very conscientious push in, in leadership development, is to really look at, and there's been some research done around the, the unique leadership capacity that women bring to bear, and there are skills and talents that women have just by the way our brains are wired, not necessarily the traditional roles of nurturing and caring for people, although that's relevant and important. But the way our our brains are actually different than men's brains, and that translates into leadership with a really different set of mindsets and awarenesses. So um, so there's a lot of opportunity now for women to embrace leadership as a woman in a way that would be authentic to you as a woman and not feel like you're stepping into you know, your father's boots, um, which is what leadership used to feel like for women. Even in the days when women first started wearing you know, neckties as corporate Mm -hmm. attire to try to look like men or be like men. And some of the women who have risen to power have been been able to do that because they were like men, um, because, you know, the men were comfortable. But now we're just starting to crack that open a little bit, and women are starting to be recognized for the effective leadership skills that we bring to bear just by the way we're wired and the way we think.
0: You know, I read something so interesting in USA Today yesterday, there was a, a really good article about Michelle, Michelle Obama and how when she was first on the campaign trail, they, you know, she got some feedback that she was too harsh and too masculine and too overshadowing. And so the people who were her advisors had her change her wardrobe and start only wearing dresses.
1: Oh, I was wondering about that. Yeah,
0: because they didn't want her to look like she was part of the pantsuit thing with Hillary Clinton.
1: With Hillary, right. And she's so fabulous. She's such a strong example of leadership. I actually wrote a blog post about her that you can find on my blog where, I, you know, when I, I clipped the video from her speech at the convention. Um, and she really is. She's a very authentic leader in her own right
0: she is and, and i think you know it's it's a wonderful testament to her leadership skills that she's been able to overcome so much negative press and yet how sad even though she looks fabulous in her dresses how sad that we're paying more attention to what she wears than to her many accomplishments
1: well that happened with sarah Palin as well for god's it sake really her glasses did. you know oh the my gosh, of her yes. glasses and her shoes went through the roof um because that's what people focused on it's really um It's really shocking. (laughs) We
0: have a ways to go, but I definitely see movement towards women being much more comfortable owning businesses and even owning their life and saying, you know, this is what I want for me instead of for my spouse or for my parents or my children.
1: And it comes down to owning your own power for who you are and not trying to be somebody else. Well,
0: you know, for the listeners who have not had the opportunity to go to business
1: school, which is
0: probably everyone, Susie's book, Seal the Deal, is like, I consider it like an MBA in a box. There's so much good business information in here that really is foundational stuff that most of us don't know because we haven't gone to business school. You had to probably learn all of this information on your own, didn't you?
1: I did. It was the the business school of hard knocks. <laughs> the business school of figuring out as you go along. You know, um, it, I always tell people if I knew now what if I knew then what I know now about what it takes to to run a business. I think the joy of starting my business at age twenty four was that I was naive. You know,
0: yes, <laughs> that was you didn't blessing. know what you didn't
1: know. I didn't know what I didn't know, and that was really the blessing. And I had to learn it all as I went, and so where seal the deal came from is because uh, a lot of my colleagues in the executive coaching world often say to me how did you get all these clients how do you because i a lot of my corporate leaders that i coach are in some of the fortune 100 companies and i've i've been really fortunate to to coach in 135 different organizations worldwide and and i'm always being asked by colleagues how how do you do that how do you sell coaching how do you talk about coaching and so that's where seal the deal came from originally was I was answering the same questions over and over again, and I wanted to have a way to give back to the coaching community and put it all down in one place so that every time I get those questions, I could say, well, you know, here, (laughs) here are all the answers, you know, read this, and if you have any questions, let's talk, Um, and then as I was writing the book, the realization dawned on me that, hey, this isn't just for coaches. This is Mm -hmm. really for anyone in a professional services business and anyone who doesn't know the basic distinctions of networking and marketing and sales and how to integrate them. And um, and surprisingly enough, I have found that attorneys um, really seem to like this book because they're never, you know, in law school you're not taught how to go out and get business. So, it, yeah, it's been it's been surprising. It's been a surprising journey.
0: Well, it's a wonderful book. I'm going to make sure that at the end of the call listeners are directed to get a copy because I think it should be essential reading for every woman business owner. One of the concepts that is in your book and that I've seen you work on a lot in your blogs and websites is the concept of Mm rainmaking. That might be a new term for some of our listeners. So can you
1: tell us what that is? It's a term I borrowed from my lawyer colleagues. Clients, not colleagues. Sorry, I'm not a lawyer. I meant clients. So I've worked with a lot of attorneys, um, which was also a surprise. You know, back when I was a school teacher, if you would have told me I'd be coaching attorneys, I I would have thought you were nuts. Um, (laughs) But I really enjoy working with attorneys because they're similar to the top executives that I work with. They're very dedicated and smart and driven and passionate and purposeful. And, and so, in the law, in the legal field, they talk about rainmaking as the person who's bringing in the business in the law firm, the person who's making the rain.
0: Ah.
1: Um, and so the concept is funny because, of course, no, none of us can make it rain, right? We can't steer nature to make it rain. But um, so it's a little bit of a misnomer in that way. But I think in the law firm concept, it's you know, if it's raining money and raining business, someone had to go out and make that happen. So the term rainmaking is the person who's going out and making business happen.
0: Wonderful.
1: And that really is, for almost
0: every business, the owner, isn't it?
1: Well, the owner has to do a lot of that. But in a lot of businesses, um, for example, in a law firm model, you have partners. Um, and in a consulting model, like you know, I do some coaching at um, Accenture and Deloitte and places like that, and they all have partner models and so then you have multiple owners and yes there is an accountability at that level of the organization to generate revenue and to bring in bring in the clients, bring in the dollars and you know interestingly enough people who don't understand that it's all about relationships tend to struggle with that and this is where I think women actually have an advantage because we think in terms of relationships and we create our own identity in terms of relationships and we're wired to have a focus and and an intensity around relationships and that's where business happens that's where results happen is in relationships and conversation and women are uniquely designed for that
0: and you know i i've met many women and i'm sure i said this myself in the early days i don't want to sell i just want to provide my service so i just want to coach or i just want to be a healer or i just want to consult but what you do so good beautifully in your book is really demonstrate the difference between sales and marketing and also how it's part of being a business owner, and it's all relationship-based. It's making friends for a purpose, it's isn't it? making
1: friends, and it's being yourself. And it's actually, if you think about, and I love that you said, I just want to do what it is that I'm passionate about doing. I don't want to have to sell. That's exactly the way I thought about it, too, until I learned that, the only way to get to do what I love doing, which is the coaching piece of it, I have to create for myself opportunities to do that. And so part of how you learn how to create opportunities for yourself to do what you're passionate about is by learning these concepts of networking, marketing, and sales, but how to do them in a way that's easy and effortless for you because it fits with your natural style and personality. So it's not about doing something you hate doing. It's not about something you have to do because it's good for you, like, you know, think of what what's the vegetable that you hate the most that you used to have to eat as a kid? Beets. For me, it was lima beans. Oh yes, mm. those did were bad you, too, are not they? Did you say beets? I said beets. Yep. Mm. Beats? Okay, so so it's not like so. What I would say to you, Lynn, is business development is not like eating beets. You don't. It's not something you have to do because it's good for you because someone's telling you you have to do it, and that's the way we tend to approach it if we even approach it at all. Most of the time, there's so much fear around it and mystery around it that we just kind of figure, oh, I'll do whatever I have to do, but not that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yeah. you know, sales is a dirty word or a four-letter word. Sell becomes a four-letter word, and. Uh, but it's not like eating beets or lima beans. It's uh, It really is, there's sweetness in it, and there's it can be whatever your favorite delicious treat is as opposed to something that you're forcing down because it's good for you. So the trick is to find what naturally fits with you and your personality and your interest and your passion and your joy, and to and to sell from there and to network from there and to market from there so that it doesn't feel like an additional task that you have to do because you're a business owner.
0: Oh, well put, Susie. Very nice.
1: You know, one of the other things that you
0: do really well in your book is talk about the money conversation and why sometimes it's really hard for us to have that conversation.
1: Yeah, because we have money wrapped up with all kinds of things, and that comes from a lot of places. It comes from our, the way we were raised, the messages that we got as children from our family, from our parents, from our teachers, from our clergy, from our communities, Um, anything that we did as children, we we got messages about money. And when you're a child, the messages tend to be a little more black and white, and they get locked in. So you either got money is this root of all evil, or you got money is something we never have enough of, or you got money is connected to um, people who do bad things. You know, so there's always some very simplistic idea or message about money that gets locked in as a child. And we generate our adult activities from that place where it's locked in, and it's not, it doesn't serve us anymore. So what I, I would challenge everybody who's listening to do is, is really look at your own story about money and, and the messages that you got growing up and what you have made money mean for you um, and to shift it to a meaning that is, more, that is more in line with your commitments and your values in your life as an adult. Um, and I can share that for me, growing up, money was about – some. It, money was always something that you saved and never spent. And I remember being very proud as a little girl. In those days, when you went to the bank, you had a little passbook. And mm-hmm. it was this little,
0: um,
1: you know, like folded, folded up cardboard paper book. It was just a ledger of, of – um, the deposits that you make and you take that and it had a little plastic sleeve and i remember being a little girl and going with my dad to the bank and being really proud of my passbook and you hand it to the teller along with whatever money you're depositing and they write it down in the passbook and stamp it and give it back to you and you watch it grow in your passbook and that to me was what money was it was all about putting it in and never taking it out um and whenever I got money as a little girl for Hanukkah presents or for babysitting or for anything that I got money for, it all went in the bank. I was never allowed to spend any of it. So those early messages that I got was that money is to be saved and never spent. And so fast forward to when I was starting my business, and initially when I started my business, I, I had generated some debt like many of us do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was living off of credit cards. I was making money but not enough to cover all the expenses right when I started. And I had such a rotten, horrible emotional response to that because if you think about it, if money is never to be spent and it's only to be saved, how does that, how does that fit with being in debt? There's no, there's no room for being mm-hmm. in debt. And so it was my coach at the time who really had me shift that mindset, and that's why I say that it's all about our mindsets, right? So what, what he had me see was he said, look, you know, at that point I'd been in business two years, I was $10,000 in debt after two years in business. And he said to me, okay, if you had gone to business school and gotten your MBA, what would that have cost you? And I said, well, I don't know, probably upwards of $30,000. He said, right. And he said, and how long would that have taken you? I said, well, probably three years. He said, okay, so you have spent $10,000 on your future self and two years of your time. Have you learned anything in the last two years that you could apply to your business? And when I sat and thought about it that way – the mindset shift was almost immediate, and I thought, you know what? If I commit now to applying what I, everything I've learned over the last two years, and consider that my MBA, <laughs> consider that my education, um, then I actually saved money because I didn't spend thirty thousand in three right. years. That's like, right. You know, I only spent <laughs> ten thousand in two years, and I can tell you that within six months of that mindset shift, I was doing a sustainable six-figure income. Isn't that you know, great?
0: Debt-free. I love that. And,
1: yeah, so it was, it's, it's all about the mindset shift. So, um, definitely one place to take leadership in your life is to look at your conversations about money and your stories that were implanted as a child and whether or not they still serve you. In some cases they might, and in some cases they might not. So as an adult, you get to choose a different, a different mindset. So now my interpretation of money is that it's energy. And it's energy that comes and goes. It flows. It ebbs and flows just like all energy. And that when I'm doing what I love, it tends to flow more
0: easily. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great story, Susie. The last thing I want to ask you about in your book, it's a little point, but I think it's so significant. That's your concept of daily chafes. (laughs) Tell us some more about that because that is absolutely brilliant.
1: Oh, thank you, and I can't even take credit for it. It's So chafe is to rub, you know, if you chafe your skin, you can rub it into a place where it gets really raw, and that's the idea of a chafe, the daily chafe. So when I, this goes back to um, before I started my business, and before I even started teaching, I was a camp director, and I ran a summer enrichment program at the University of Virginia, and I had 600 gifted and talented students that came in from all over the country, and um, and I had a staff of of thirty um, counselors that I had to lead, and I had uh, you know a staff of teachers that taught them enrichment classes during the day, and you know we had state vehicles and um, and and university property, and so there was a lot to manage. You know, as a twenty one year old, that was a lot of leadership accountability. And the guy who had the position before me, I'll never forget when George sat me down, I said, George, what do I need to know? To you know, tell me what's the the thing I most need to know about this job? He said, expect three things to chafe you every day. And I said, what are you, what what <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Because that's not at all like what I was expecting him to tell me. Yeah. And uh, and he said he said there are going to be no matter how well you plan and no matter how organized and on your game you are, things are going to go wrong and if you expect three things to go wrong and be annoying and get your you know get your pants all in a bunch each day then when those things happen they don't throw you off your game. When the first the first thing that goes awry, you you can say to yourself, "Okay, that's chafe number 1 for today and you move on." And it gives you a mindset about how to handle these things and move on as and handle them as if they are the due course of what's supposed to happen that day as opposed to getting thrown off your game because something went wrong um, and there was a similar story in, uh, in Weight Watchers I used to do Weight Watchers and, and I'll never forget this story because it's similar the, the Weight Watcher leader said to us you know if you're baking something and you take a dozen eggs out of the refrigerator and you only need two eggs but in the process of getting those two eggs out of the carton you drop the rest of the carton she said what do you do do you throw the two eggs in your hand on the floor and say well forget it it's all over it's it's ruined now I can't go <laughs> on she said, no, clean up the mess, you buy more eggs, and you go on, right? So in, the, in Weight Watchers, the story was, you know, if you fall off the wagon and, mm-hmm. and binge or whatever, you don't just figure, oh, well, I had a bad day, so now I'm off. Now I better not exercise, and I better not, you know. You just get back on the next day. You just get back on program. And so the same is true in leadership and in business development. Um, if you expect three things to chase you every day, or if you expect that, you know, eggs are going to fall on the ground and make a mess, <laughs> it gives you some a little bit of freedom to clean it up and move on and get back on your program. I
0: just love that story
1: because it's so true. A lot
0: of times we have this fantasy in our mind that we own our own businesses now and we if we work hard enough and plan well enough, it will be perfect and set ourselves up for these unrealistic expectations, and then when there is a customer service issue, or something goes wrong with the vendor, or a delivery, or the computer blows up, we get freaked out.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it and it and it colors everything else. And yeah. the mindset shift around that is that it is perfect, exactly the way it is. It's perfect with the daily chafes that happen because there's gifts in those, and there's learning in those, and, and things are going to go wrong. And if you expect three things a day to go wrong, then, you know, you can get upset when you get to the fourth thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's so The first things are going to throw you. Yeah. yeah, they're just part of business and part of right. life, really. They really are. That's right. You know, the day, and, you know, if you're juggling like I am, juggling the thing with business and, and being a mom, you know, the day that you've got – um a radio interview and three outside meetings and two prospective clients is the day that your nanny calls in sick, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the dishwasher blows up or you know something else just goes crazy. And the dishwasher blows
1: up and and you get a call from the school that one of your children just chipped a tooth, you know that. that...
0: <laughs> so
1: so you just laugh and you say okay, everything can be rescheduled. That's right, you know. It's just you, you you just go, okay, that's a big chase for today, but that's one. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
0: <laughs> and maybe the other two will be smaller.
1: And maybe they will, yes.
0: Oh, Susie, I could go on and on with you because you have such wonderful wisdom to share, but oh, I know that's you. not possible. So let's tell people how they can connect with you to get your wonderful book and also read your easings and blogs, which are really, really good. I always open them up as soon as they get in and read them.
1: Oh, thank you. hmm well, I there's a bunch of free stuff available on my websites, and um, there are free articles on the posted on the blog site under um, if you go to um and if you search for free articles, you can just put free articles into the search box up top. That's the fastest way to get to them. There's like twenty some odd articles that I've posted there that are free, and then there's free podcasts. I've got about twelve different free podcasts from interviews like this and from classes that I've taught that were teleclasses that were recorded and things like that. Um, and you can get to those as well through the blog, but also through my business website, which is um, www.innovativeleader.com. And across the top there's these tabs where you can click on um, look and listen. And under there it says audio, and that will get you to the podcasts that are free. Um, and you can sign up for the newsletter, the e-zine, and, and any of my websites. There's a box to sign up for that. There's a free self-assessment quiz that you could access um, so the three websites are InnovativeLeader.com, that's the business one, SealTheDealBook.com, that's the book one specifically, and then SusiePomerance.com can point you to all of them. So if you don't remember the other ones, you can just go to susiepomerance.com. and that's where the blog is. Wonderful. And I'm I also on all those social media things, Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, so if you want to connect with me, I would love to connect with whoever's listening, and um, and if you just click on Contact on the Susie Pomerance dot com page it'll show you all the places where you can connect with me
0: perfect yeah. i just want to thank you so much Susie, for sharing not only your time but your story and your humor and your great wisdom with us
1: oh thank you so much lynn that's really been a joy and i just i'm really so appreciative of you and the service that you offer to women everywhere i, I love web Sorority and it's just your radio show and everything that you post is fabulous so thank you for everything that you do
0: oh you're very welcome and with that listeners thank you as well for spending your time with Susie and i here today this is your host lynn klippel in a couple of weeks i'll be back with another interview with a fascinating and inspiring woman who's going to help you feel all excited and energized to make your business and your life exactly like you want it to be So thank you so much for being part of the Web Sorority Talk Radio Sisterhood.